Let me pray for us before Carol comes to read God's word to us. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, for your word to us today. We ask that you would give us hearts to receive your truth. We thank you that we can rely on it as truthfulness. And uh, we just pray that you would bless our time in your word and encourage us by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, they say there's a big man who lives far away, supposedly jolly, but it's hard to say. I've never seen him, and neither of you, but the children believe whether or not it's true. He's known as a loner, with many a quirk. No time for a chat, he's embroiled in his work. He keeps to himself for most of the year. I reckon we're grateful he doesn't appear. We send him requests for particular needs, but we never hear back. Who knows if he heeds? We try to be good, give his arm a twist to merit our place on his blessed little list. And maybe one day, if we do what we should, he'll give us our things, so long as we're good. Uh, well, they are the opening lines of a poem uh, by poet and preacher Glenn Scrivener uh, called Santa vs. Jesus. And I wonder who came to mind as I was reading it out. Uh, it's obvious this time of year, right? It's in the title of the poem. The strange person who visits every now and again uh, and gives us things so long as we've been good. Old Father Christmas, Old St. Nick, Santa Claus. Well, uh, as the poem goes on, we actually find out He's not really talking about Santa at all. Uh, it goes on like this. As strange as he is, and Santa is odd, I'm really addressing most folks' view of God. It's God we see as a distant big guy, an ancient invisible Saint Nick in the sky. He sees you asleep. He knows when you wake. He's watching and waiting to spot your mistake. And just like with Santa, where requests we hand in, we want all his things, but we don't want him. That's our connection with Old Father Christmas. We might dress it up. It's essentially business. Throughout the year, good behaviour is our onus. When Christmas rolls round, we're expecting our bonus. Just leave us the gifts, Nick. We've been good enough. And then please push on. Now we've got all your stuff. Uh, it's a great poem. <laughs> and uh, if God is like that, if, he's, if God is no more than a glorified Saint Nick, a, a heavenly Father Christmas... Uh, then, uh, friends, it's frankly no wonder why so many people reject him. That God is, at best, a fairy tale. And at worst, he's a pretty petty being, right? He's just kind of w waiting and watching to catch you out and, 
uh, with glee, cross you off his good list. Well, we're looking at Matthew's Gospel in the lead up to Christmas, the opening chapters here, and this passage in Matthew's Gospel, it just totally blows away that view of God. Uh, God is not this cold, unknowable, divine Santa um, who gives you good things so long as you've been good. He is the Lord of heaven and earth who lovingly fashioned this world and whose love is so deep that he has come near to dwell with us. The Creator took on creation. God took on flesh in history in the real flesh and blood person of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so this God isn't interested in something as shallow as giving stuff to good people. He gives himself to sinful people. And that, that is the real deep transforming news of this passage. It's the deep transforming news of Christmas. Christmas isn't just a nice tale about struggling parents and a cute baby. Christmas proclaims to the world that in this moment in history, uh, this moment that you can examine, you can explore, you can read the eyewitness accounts of, that here, at just the right time, God has acted in a decisive, unique, utterly gracious way in Jesus, our Emmanuel. Well, we started last week in Matthew's Gospel looking at the genealogy, this list of names uh, that tells Matthew's, uh, Jesus' backstory. Uh, and after that, Matthew writes, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Came about. And what he does here is he highlights four things about Jesus' earthly beginnings. Uh, he was born to the Virgin Mary, adopted by the faithful Joseph. He was foretold by the ancient prophets, and he was named for his great mission. Firstly, though, he was born to the Virgin Mary. Uh, verse 18 again, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So Mary is this young woman engaged to be married. Uh, and in, in this culture, engagement was a much more binding thing than it is now. Uh, it had a kind of legal force to it and it needed a, a divorce to end it. So you would pledge in marriage and become engaged. And then after a set time, perhaps up to a year, but after that set time, you would move in together and consummate the marriage. And so in this culture, for Mary to be found pregnant before that time, it was a real scandal. Uh, Luke's Gospel, one of the other accounts of Jesus' life, um, Luke's Gospel focuses much more on Mary and her own experience of this. But Matthew here, he, he focuses much more on Joseph and sort of his experience. And we'll get to him in a moment. But before we do that, it's worth pausing and just noticing that this central moment in the Christian story is unapologetically and irreducibly miraculous and supernatural. Uh, it's, uh, it's not too much to say, actually, that to deny the miraculous, to deny the virgin conception of Jesus... Uh, is actually to deny the heart of the Christian faith. Uh, you might uh, see Jesus as a good example, for instance, or a wise teacher, but not the one who the Gospels show us he is, not the one Christian faith is built on, not God made flesh, the incarnate eternal Son, 
uh, given to the Virgin Mary through the creative and sovereign power of the Holy Spirit. So this claim of the virgin birth or the virgin conception uh, is, it is a stumbling block for some people, and perhaps it is for you. Uh, if that's you, and if, if you're genuinely curious about Jesus, uh, can I suggest one place to start might be to look into the other great foundational miracle of the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, the eyewitness uh, claim of that event, this claim that Jesus rose from the dead, it utterly transformed Jesus' small group of followers into those who were willing to give their lives for this truth and did give their lives for it. It transformed them and sparked a global movement that changed the world. Virgins don't conceive and dead people don't rise from the dead. And in the normal course of the world, that is true. Of course it is. Uh, but the historic, unique claim of the Gospels is precisely that what happened in ancient Palestine 2,000 years ago was not the normal course of things. Uh, God broke in, in history, in a unique and utterly astounding, gracious way. Uh, so Joseph, back to him now, uh, he, he knew that virgins don't conceive as well. Uh, so we read in verse 19, that because he was faithful to the law... Uh, and uh, he wanted to do what was right in the, in the law's eyes, yet he didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. Uh, he uh, wanted to treat her with um, dignity and respect. He decides to divorce her quietly, not sort of in a loud show, but quietly. It, it's a scene of, you kind of, uh, you can sense the scene of grief here, of, and the kind of mixed feelings Joseph must be feeling, betrayal, unfulfilled longing, sadness, confusion... But Joseph's world is about to get seriously shaken up by a visitor in the night. Um, it's possible for us, I reckon, to just be a little bit numb to what's going, really going on here. Uh, probably because we, um, we have in mind, when we hear about angels at Christmas time, we have in mind sort of cute cherubs uh, as a part of the nativity story. But angelic beings visiting people is actually, it's pretty rare in the Bible. And when it happens, it's always a big deal. One of the first things they often say is, don't be afraid, which uh, makes you think that them turning up is reason uh, that causes people to be afraid. <laughs> it's a big deal. And it's always a sign that God is about to act in a big way. So they're not kind of sweet cherubs. They're more like awesome warriors of light, holy messengers of the holy Lord of the universe. And Joseph has this dream like no other. And there's no mistaking this dream for any other kind of dream. Uh, he's visited by this holy messenger, and the message he hears totally changes his life. Uh, Mary has been faithful. She's been true. This baby really is conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And so the angel tells Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary home as his wife and to adopt her child as his own, to name him. Did you notice that? Uh, he's told to give him a name. That's kind of a sign of Joseph accepting Jesus into his family. It's worth thinking what that meant for Joseph. It meant opening the door to this scandal, to the kind of sidelong glances and whispered comments about this child uh, conceived before the wedding was formally finalized. But you notice too Joseph's faith. Uh, down in verse 24, as soon as he wakes up, 
Uh, what does he do? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't weigh up what the angel says. He doesn't say, uh, just let me go back to sleep and I'll sleep on it. <laughs> uh, no, he gets up and straight away he does what the angel says. He's heard from God's heavenly messenger and he simply obeys. It's a beautiful picture of faith and obedience that Joseph gives to us. So we've got Jesus, this passage highlights to us, born of the Virgin Mary, adopted by the faithful Joseph. But Matthew also wants to highlight how the, the way in which Jesus was foretold by the ancient prophet Isaiah. Uh, through the Gospels, a number of the uh, Old Testament prophets are highlighted, but Matthew focuses in on this prophecy from Isaiah. And he asserts this comment in verse 22 here. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Uh, just a, a bit of another side note here. Uh, just like with miracles and the virgin birth being indispensable to Christian faith. Uh, friends, you can't understand Jesus without accepting and trusting the Old Testament as the word of God. Do you notice what Matthew says here? He, he, he writes that God spoke through the prophets. Uh, we saw last week how the story of the Old Testament really is foundational to Jesus' own identity to his backstory, the bigger picture he fits into. Without it, you, you simply won't be able to see the fullness and richness of who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, but notice here too how Isaiah's prophecy is incredibly, uh, remarkably fulfilled, unexpectedly fulfilled. Uh, you might remember this when we looked at Isaiah 7 and 8 not long ago, where this prophecy comes from. Uh, Isaiah talks about a number of children in these chapters that have significant names, names that point to what God would do. Uh, and in Isaiah's time, one of these children was this Emmanuel child who would, who would be born as a sign that God would come to his people. But do you remember also uh, in Isaiah's um, kind of immediate time, in the first instance, that wasn't actually... Terrific news. Uh, God would come to his people, but he would come in judgment uh, to send them into exile. Uh, but do you remember too, as Isaiah, those chapters go on in Isaiah, uh, as you get to chapter 9, and Isaiah pick, looks ahead uh, to another child who, who would be actually the ultimate Emmanuel, this child who would be born, the wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so Isaiah's prophecy ends up being sort of partially fulfilled in Isaiah's own time, in this child who would be a sign of God's coming in judgment. But here we find out, as we get to Matthew, the opening of Matthew's Gospel, that actually it, it had its ultimate fulfillment, this prophecy in Isaiah had its ultimate fulfillment in a child who would, who, whose, whose name would not just be a sign pointing towards something else, towards God being present, but this child would actually be God present in the flesh. And then this time, remarkably, incredibly, not in judgment, but in salvation. And that, uh, that really leads us into the fourth thing that Matthew focuses in on here. This ultimate Emmanuel child, God with us. Uh, he's given another name in this passage as well. It's a name that speaks not so much about his identity as 
God in flesh, God incarnate. Not so much about that, but about his mission, about what he's come to do. And so in verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus. Uh, a Hebrew name common at the time, but it means that uh, God saves. Uh, you To give him this name because he will save his people from their sins. This Emmanuel, God with us, would uh, save his people from their sins. Uh, often at Christmas time we get presents that aren't really needed, right? We don't really need them. Uh, a lot of them... Uh, don't actually make it to New Year's Day. Some don't even make it past Boxing Day or in my household past Christmas Day. Uh, some we sort of put away in the drawer. We keep them in a drawer and don't really look at them again. Uh, they might be useful one day, maybe. Um, it, it's possible for us to treat Jesus a little bit like that at Christmas time. A nice present, something to kind of feel good about on Christmas Day, but ultimately not really something that you need. Maybe you'll put him in the drawer for a rainy day, but certainly not have him on the, sh on, on the table for every day. <laughs> well, uh, friends, that, uh, that couldn't be further from the truth, from the reality of who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just another kind of kitsch gift to think, oh, that's nice about, and then forget about. Uh, he is the gift given to address your deepest, most urgent need. And so to treat him like a cheap Christmas present is a huge mistake. Um, we saw, again, we saw last week in this genealogy at the start of the chapter, the whole of history has been building to this moment. Uh, Jesus comes into a world that is groaning under the weight of sin. Sin is our proud rejection of God, our, our desire to make ourselves little lords and ladies over our own lives a refusal to trust and obey our maker. And it enslaves us. We're enslaved by this sinful pride and we, ought, we willingly give ourselves to it at the same time. And it has this devastating effect. It spoils relationships with each other, with the world around us, even with ourselves. And ultimately, it cuts us off from the source of life and of love from God himself. And here, friends, here, here is the gift given by God himself. The gift of, him, of himself, of God himself, that is given to save us from that helpless cycle. To forgive us and to give us new life. So that's why Christmas always leads to Easter, friends. Uh, that's why Matthew's Gospel starts with Emmanuel, the baby born in Bethlehem. But it ends with Jesus, the Saviour on the cross in Jerusalem. Uh, that's where he saved us. And that is what he came to do, to save us from our sin. And that is extraordinary. When we see who this one was, the God who we have rejected has not rejected us. Jesus, this was, as it was put in the early uh, days of the Christian church, in this great hymn that you can read in Philippians, Jesus Christ in very nature God did not grasp hold of that, but he emptied himself. 
Uh, he became a squawking, vulnerable baby who needed nappy changes and burps. Um, the king of creation took on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And friends, that's the wonder of Christmas. The exalted Son of God came low out of love. But he didn't just come low to the stable. He, he, kept, he kept going further. He went further. He humbled himself, not just to the stable, but to the cross, even to death. And therefore, therefore, God the Father exalted his Son to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So friends, will you hear that good news this Christmas, this gift offered to you? Not a thing from God, but God himself, not just another piece of stuff, but a person, a person who loves you and who gave himself for you, a person who by his grace and his spirit at work in your heart, a person who you can love in return and be changed by this Christmas, be changed by every day of your life until the day comes when he returns or he calls you home, when his saving work for you will be complete and when you will be with him forever. Well, uh, back to the poem that we started with. Uh, it keeps going, and I wanted to finish by reading the end of the poem. It talks about the way in which uh, this view of God that we often have as, an, as a St. Nick in the sky, a, a Santa Claus, a heavenly Santa Claus, uh, how it's just, it just doesn't ring true to the reality of the gospel. Um, uh, and that's how often we imagine God to be like. And the poem ends like this. But Christmas resounds with a stunning, not so. The one from on high was born down below. To a world in need, he did not send another. God the Son became God our brother. He drew alongside, forever to dwell. Our God in the flesh, Emmanuel. This God in the manger uproots all our notions. A heavenly stooping, divine emotion, born in a stable, wriggling on straw, fully committed to life in the raw. Santa gives things and then goes away. Jesus shows up to befriend and to stay. Santa rewards those with good behaviour. Jesus comes near to the broken as saviour. So if you don't like God, I think I know why. You probably think he's St. Nick in the sky. You're right to reject that faraway stranger. This Christmas, look down to the God in the manger. Let's do that together. Let me pray for us as we finish up. Thank you, our God, for your amazing love for us. Uh, that in the person of your Son, you have not stayed far away, but you have come to be with us, that you have given us the greatest gift, not just something from you, but you yourself. Uh, we thank you for Emmanuel, our God with us, the one who has come to save us from our sin.
Our Father, we confess our sin to you now. Uh, we know that no one is on the good list, ultimately. Um, uh, that we all have sinned and turned away from you and fallen short of your glory. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful uh, grace that you have shown to us in Christ. Help us to receive it, to accept it and live in its light. And we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.